Southwest Fire Academy was established in 2015 as a response to the recognized need for quality, safe, and affordable fire and rescue training in Ontario. This is not your average fire college. SFA has high standards for their students, and it is their mission to teach and produce qualified, ambitious firefighters who are prepared to work hard to serve their communities. This is not a diploma mill. This is where you can learn strategic, aggressive firefighting from passionate, intelligent instructors who never forget why they were made to do this job. SFA is an accredited private career college that is regulated by the Ministry of Training, Colleges and Universities with a Memorandum of Understanding with the Office of the Fire Marshal. This means that SFA is an approved training provider with the OFM and the programs are recognized in Ontario. Check out the pre-service and expanding selection of course offerings at southwestfireacademy.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 79 of Multiple Calls. I'm Scott Hewlett. No one enters into the fire service as a blank slate. Although some rookies enter in with more to offer immediately than others, they all have skills, achievements, traumas, worldviews, and opinions, just like we did when we started. And just like us, they only share them as much as the culture they've walked into allows. If we expect rookies to act like adults and professionals, then we need to treat them as such and model it. If they aren't meeting that expectation, which underpins all expectations, then that's an adult and professional conversation. The two ears, two eyes, one mouth adage should be a nuanced self-awareness piece that you want people to be able to use based on the situation at hand, not as an all-encompassing directive. If you're afraid of challenging questions and choose to shut down the possibility of it occurring from day one, that's not fire service culture. That's ego. If you either have the answers or aren't afraid of not knowing the answers, then you aren't afraid of the questions. Here's Jake Watson. Let's kick off with where you grew up and tell me about your family dynamic. Family started off in Penetang Machine. My mom's side of the family is a very French Catholic family, and we were very heavily involved in, in that French Catholic community there. I was there until I want to say about eight years old, I think, maybe seven. Um, did my first few years of school there in a French school. Very different dynamic than what I was introduced to when we finally did move to Wabashine. Again, another very small community. It's where the school is now, SFA. Yeah, we moved there. My whole dad's side of the family is in town. Like I could throw a rock and hit one of my relatives' house, which was awesome. It was a, a blessing and a curse at the same time because as a young kid, you couldn't really get away with anything because there was always eyes on you in the whole town. Yeah, it was a really good time. We had a, a really good, close group of friends who all grew up in town and all had the, the same kind of upbringing. I was very, very fortunate as a kid. I really didn't have the, the controlling parents as to where they were always checking in on me or making sure what I was doing, trying to make sure I stay out of trouble there. They, they kind of let us kind of lead our own way. And if we got out of line... There was everyone in town knew each other, so it got back to your parents pretty quick. So by the time you got back home, they probably already knew. But yeah, it was it was an awesome, awesome experience. You went to school at what is the academy now? Yeah, so that was a wild ride too. We uh, it's a very very small school. It was actually broken up into two. So you're, like you're familiar with town when you go down the street. There's the old there's an old red school right by the church. That's where you did kindergarten to grade two, two or three, I think. And then you got you moved up down to the big school, down where the fire academy is now. And then I did, I think I did up until grade six or seven there. I think it was grade six. I had a, a bit of a tough time in elementary school when I was a kid. I came from a very, I don't know how to say it politically correct, but very like very by the book, straight and narrow community, very heavily within the Catholic community to a town where it was farmers and just a very small town community. And these, these kids and their families had, had grown up with each other since day one. So like everyone was super tight. And then you have this, this new kid. Yeah. They assumes coming in from like a more snobby life. Is that a best way to put it? 
Yeah. And I, I like my English wasn't that great because I, I, I grew up in a French community. I went to a full French school. It, it wasn't like a blended school. It was full French. My mom is fluent in French. My whole, her whole side of the family is fluent in French. I had a tough time fitting in. The biggest thing too with me is I played a ton of sports, but no one I played sports with when I went to school with. So I had a ton of friends and neighboring communities in like Victoria Harbor and Midland and stuff like that, but no one else was here. So I was kind of, my brother and I were kind of left to fend for ourselves, got in a lot of trouble, a lot of scraps, recess scraps and stuff like that. Didn't really have a, a great experience. Didn't have a lot of friends, didn't really enjoy going to school and stuff like that. So I think come grade six, my parents kind of realized like it, it was a pretty toxic environment for me and I, I wouldn't be able to, to grow and kind of mature in the ways that I could somewhere else. So they ultimately ended up moving to schools over a Catholic school in Victoria Harbor. For the record, I'm not super Catholic or anything like that. But they brought us to a Catholic school in Victoria Harbor. It was like the perfect blend didn't have like the super goody two shoes but everyone was kind of on the same page there was a lot of kids who played sports I knew a lot of the kids there from playing sports it was wild I grew up in Wabashine ended up buying my first house in Wabashine and here we are today your dad was a blue collar guy yeah super blue collar guy I think my dad has three trades started off in the glazier business doing windows and all that kind of stuff he moved on over into like the CNC machining side of things and then did that until I think it was when we moved here, he got out of that and ended up becoming an electrician working for Hydro One. That's where he still is today. He's a boss over there. And yeah, that was uh, an awesome experience having him as a mentor because he's a super hands-on guy. Like, I don't think we ever paid anyone to build anything for us. We ever we didn't pay anyone to do any work on our cars or our four-wheelers or anything like that. It was all grab the wrench set, grab everything and bring it into the garage and we'll take care of it ourselves. I learned a ton of him and I owe a huge, a huge portion of like my mechanical aptitude strictly to him. He, he taught me a ton. Nice. What'd your mom do? She was the polished one in the family. She, she worked for the banks and she was a real estate agent for a while and then got into being a mortgage development manager for National Bank. She was a professional woman. Always dressed up, always had the hair done, all that good stuff. She she could talk very professionally and not like us with our little town slang and cussing every once in a while. But she was awesome. She taught me that professional side. I like to think that I could be like a small town guy when I need to be. But if I really have to be professional, she, she taught me that side of things. I think which really helped me getting into the fire service because if I would have went in talking to Talking to chiefs the way I do all my friends, it probably would have went so, went so good. It opens up the world for you, for sure. 100%. Yeah, I, I got very fortunate. And I think I kind of got the best of both worlds when it comes to the blue collar side and the professional side. I think she had us saving money as soon as I got my first job. She set me up for success and allowed me to really to have the things that I do today is uh, hugely because of the financial lessons she taught me as when I was growing up. Yeah, Brothers and sisters? I got a younger brother, Josh. He got more the the unprofessional small town side. He's a hardworking boy. He's a heavy diesel mechanic. Yeah, he'll uh, give you the shirt off his back if you ever need it. But yeah, if you look at him, he's uh, always covered in grease and has some sort of Carhartt on. The guy's a stud when it comes to tools. I, I wish I even had half of his mechanical aptitude. It's the the way his brain works. It's just he's he's so good for the for that kind of job. He's the kind of guy who can look at like a truck schematic and have it memorized and rip it apart and then put it back together. It's it's phenomenal what he's what he's able to do in that industry. And then I have an older sister. She's more on the professional side. She's a she's a teacher. If you think of a mom, that that's kind of what what comes to mind. She's got three kids. I got a, two beautiful nieces and a nephew. It always seemed like from from day one she was kind of born to be a mom she's she's a great family person she's that that's what her world revolves around and then she was lucky enough she had the professional side too and she's went went away to school and got all that stuff and then got in a pretty sweet sweet gig on the school board you were playing hockey you started out playing hockey in high school i played hockey all the way since day one i played a ton of hockey played pretty well all levels from local league house league 
up to the rep teams and then up into the, the single A's and double A's. And then once I got into high school, I, I really, really got into it. I ended up playing for a varsity team for four years as a goalie, kind of a weirdo, but really jumped on to hockey and spent a lot of time playing hockey in high school and you know, skating three, four times a week and two games a week and really, really put a lot of time towards it. Probably some of that time I probably should have put towards school, but that's in the past now. <laughs> yeah, how were the grades? I got by. I kind of thought about it as I was fortunate enough with my parents. I, I was set up pretty good. I had some natural abilities when it came to like maths and science and stuff like that. So I was able to pass by everything with little effort. I think if I would have actually applied myself, I probably could have got much better grades. But I was so focused on hockey and sports and stuff like that at that time. And it, it wasn't didn't even cross my mind. As, as long as I was getting by with 55s and 60s and still can move on to the next year, that's all I was asking for. But eventually you buckled down? Yeah, I had to buckle down. Coming into my, my last year of high school, the summer between grade 11 and grade 12, I ended up having a pretty, pretty rough injury on the ice that my parents kind of sat me down and said, hey, like, this won't allow you to continue on with hockey at any higher level. So we might have to buckle down and get these grades done. But all throughout high school, the fire service was always in the back of my mind. I'm a third generation firefighter in my family. So that was always the route I wanted to go down in the back of my mind. But I, th I thought I could make something of hockey. I think like every kid in high school and as you're younger, you think you can go somewhere with the sport. But when that injury happened, I kind of slowed it down and I buckled back down on the grades because I knew I knew it would take me time to get into the career side, right? So I knew I would have to, I didn't have to, but I, would, I wanted to go and get a post-secondary education, not only to make my resume getting into the fire service a bit more like appeasing, but I wanted to make sure that when I did get out of high school and graduate university, I'd be able to get into a job if it did take that long for me to get into the career side. So grade 12, I, I really buckled down. I still played hockey, but my training regimen probably wasn't the same as it was because I put a little bit more time into the books. Ended up dialing in my grades and getting the grades good to go to go to post-secondary. And surprisingly, I got into an electrical engineering program. And then, yeah, after high school, I went into that. It was an eye-opener. It wasn't like high school where I could just kind of slide along and slip through. And the professors there, they didn't have any interest. If you passed or failed, they were there to do their job and give you the material. And it was up to you. They put a lot more accountability on you, which was a, a huge eye-opener and shock to me. Because in high school, like, it, was, it was a small community. And, you know, if your physics teacher saw you were slipping, he'd pull you aside and ask if there's anything extra you could do or if there's anything that's going on that he needs to be aware about, right? But in, in post-secondary, they, they couldn't care less. You're just a number. So my first three years there, I was having a really hard time in school. Not so much not so much the grades, it was just enjoying it, just struggling through every day. And I knew I wouldn't go down that career for very long because I knew eventually I would get into the career side. But yeah, I ended up opting to leave and graduated luckily with the school i was at we were able to drop back and you could drop into like a college program and then you can graduate they took your credits and you were able to graduate so i graduated as an engineering technologist instead of a, a full engineer and then while i was in school i knew i didn't want to do the desk job because i did a couple co-ops and stuff like that and i was losing my mind it's polar opposite for what the environment i need is being stuck in a cubicle for eight hours a day, not talking to anyone. People were eating their lunches in their cubicle and there was just no social interaction, which is kind of what I thrive on coming from team sports and stuff like that. While I was in school, I ended up taking some welding night classes just because I saw like my dad working in the trades and guys coming over after work for a beer. Like you could tell it had that team mentality and everyone kind of thrived off that social aspect working in the trades. I kind of wanted to give that a go. So I took some welding night classes and then got my welding certification. And very, I was very fortunate when I did decide to, to leave school. I applied to a whole bunch of different places and I was lucky to get into Hydro One working on the welding side there. So You said your parents were strong mentors. Who else was influencing you through all those days? My grandfather was huge. Unfortunately, he, he, he passed about six years ago. 
but he was massive. He had me, that guy had me in a set of bunkers from, from day one. I, I have pictures from, I could hardly walk and I was in a set of bunkers. The boots were all the way up to my chest. I was swimming and everything. He was my main push into the fire service. I was infatuated with him and, and the job and stuff like that. He had had me crawling around the trucks all with any chance that he could. And I had my own personal set of bunker gear that he got from, he, he got from the station. I think I did every single one of my birthdays up until I was like 12 years old at the firehouse. He was a huge mentor Like when it comes to getting into the fire service and just being an overall growing up as a man. He's like my father's a blue collar background as well. So he, he had those values instilled to in me. Work hard. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty, right? Learn as much as you can. You got two ears and one mouth. So listen twice as much as you talk kind of deal. He was huge. Going through high school, I actually had a, believe it or not, a physics teacher who he was also a big reason why I kind of got my shit together in high school because he, he was familiar. He had family in the fire service, I think. So he, he kind of knew how difficult it was to get in the career side. And along with my parents, he was kind of one to, that pulled me aside and said, listen, like, I know you want to be a firefighter, but it'll, it'll take time to get in. So we, we have to have a plan B until that happens. So made sure that I kind of got my stuff dialed in so that I didn't leave high school with a 55 average and couldn't and would have a hard time finding a job anywhere else. Right? My family and my grandfather are definitely the big ones for me. I think stereotypical, but yeah, they were it. When did you start volunteering locally? I was either 18 or 17. As soon as I was allowed to. I got on. Fortunate enough, I had family who had previously worked worked at the the volunteer department that I do. The current deputy chief at the time, he knew me from when I was a kid. Like he knew my family super well. When I put my application in, like they were hurting for bodies. I think they had like six spots open, and they only had four people apply. So I ended up getting right on. It threw me right into the the schooling and the programs and stuff like that, which was phenomenal. I didn't have to go to any of the colleges or anything like that and pay my own way. The, the department's really good and supports us by putting us through those programs to ensure that we're dialed in when the call does come through. Got on super young and I, I walked into a really, a really solid group of individuals who had been around for a long time. After that, after my first couple of years, we kind of went into a big rebuild. The average years of service probably went from 15, 20 years down to like five is a huge turn turnover and we're, we're still to this day continuously building up and trying to get back to what it used to be but yeah it seemed like all the guys who had been there for a long time it was their time to call her it and there, there were some changes in the department and stuff though as well that might have that might have affected some of that but how'd you get connected with jesse jesse was my very first captain Previous to getting on when I was younger, like he, because he lives locally as well, uh, he knew like my uncle and stuff like that. So I, I had met him in, in passing campfires or watching a hockey game or something like that. So I knew of him, kind of knew it, kind of knew the, the name and stuff like that. But when I finally, when I got on, he was my, my first captain of the platoon that I got assigned to. Very, very fortunate. I can say this right now that I have a lot of individuals that I got it put on a silver platter for me when it comes to some of the individuals that I'm fortunate to work with. Jesse being one of them, I got put under him and he took me under his wing right away, which was awesome. Like he's a younger guy himself and super into the job, super knowledgeable. So I got to do all of our truck checks, extra training, you name it. He was, he was always there by my side, walking me through. I don't want to say that he purposely gave me more of his time, but it was just like a mutual agreement. We both had a good time bouncing ideas off each other and stuff like that to where it worked out like that. We spent a lot of time together with our department. They, they actually put us through Southwest to get our certifications. So he was not only my first captain, he was my lead instructor for my boot camp course, graduated under him brought me into my first fire. I've had a lot of, lot of firsts working with him and I've learned he'll forget more than I'll ever know, but he's, he's taught me a, a ton, a ton of what I've known right from day one. Brent Sterling as well. Brent as well. When I got on, he was actually just coming back from a, a leave because he was working with the province. So he came back as well. And then short, I think after about two years, he ended up jumping into the district chief role which is a, it's a phenomenal role for him. The guy, he's 
perfect at running running the hall, keeping everything dialed in. He was super into it, like always putting in the extra time, whether it was painting or our bunker gear closets or doing any extra stuff in the hall, cleaning up the upstairs, putting the gym together, you name it. Like he was always in for the extra stuff and he always he always fought for the guys too. Not that we have to fight for a lot because we have we have really good chief staff where we work. But anytime there was there was any pushback, he was he was a pretty quick one to kind of keep everyone in line. And luckily enough he, he took me under his wing as well when he got on and then as a young acting captain and then soon after that uh, a young captain he was perfect for me to go to with like any officer progression details that I needed any help for any of the the officer testing or interviews or anything like that he he played a huge role in that and then also with his connections in the fire service getting into the full-time service he was able to make a couple calls and he was a phenomenal reference to have a lot of chiefs knew him and stuff like that so he, he played a huge role, not only in my fire service career, but becoming a man as well, financials and buying first houses and stuff like that. If, if I couldn't get a hold of my mom or anything like that, he'd be the, the second call asking them questions about all that kind of stuff as well. He's, he's, a, he's a very well-rounded individual. Nice. How'd you get into instructing? Again, that was Jesse. After the first few years and we're a volunteer, needed a guy to come help reset props and when they bought the school here in Tay I'm like a three-minute walk so and he knew I was working in the trades and stuff like that so he asked me to come help out around the school whether it was like renovations and stuff like that so it was in my last year of school was like when kind of COVID was kicking about and they were starting to do more stuff from home and online so I had a lot of free time on my hands. So I spent a lot of that time down by the school doing the renovations. And then that kind of led into him asking, like once the school got operational, led into him asking if I wanted to come in shadow and reset props and all that kind of stuff. So I did that. I did that for a couple of years, just vol- like volunteering my time, kind of them showing me the ropes, seeing how the school operated, seeing what they expected from the instructors getting a ton of hands-on time and seeing like how they were able to teach people. And then it kind of came in to the point where like they came to me and they said, you get your, your instructor and your officer one and stuff like that. And we can, we can take you on and put you in a more um, like a, a more instructor role. I ended up going and getting those certifications and I kind of rolled into still a, a good shadow mode where I would have like a switched on instructor who'd been there for a while, like Jesse or Brad or Sterling or Andrew Broussard, like the guys that clearly know the stuff. I was able to just kind of sit back and be a fly on the wall and see how they ran things. After about a year or so of that, I, I kind of got into being able to, I don't want to say run the show, but kind of organize stuff and deliver some material and stuff like that and then that's kind of where we're at today and what about teaching with brass and his cadre oh that's a whole other story that i got like i said earlier about getting some stuff thrown on my plate like silver platter brass is one of them i, I ran into brass at the school the one day when i was teaching and they were doing some welding and stuff like that and i kind of was just picking his mind about welding and then he, he asked me what i did and i told him that's that's what i do for a living and right then and there it we kind of started that relationship. He would ask me questions about welding. I'd be able to ask him questions about welding. And then I kind of started turning into more fire service questions. And him, again, like kind of like what, what happened with Jesse asking to come reset props and do all that little stuff and just kind of working your way up the food chain. And then eventually, like up until this year, just helping him wherever he needed. I, I took his class a whole bunch of times, his forcible entry class, and I ended up taking it like five times phenomenal class learn something new every time get more efficient at it every time he started bugging me a bit more asking about metal cutting and stuff like that because i did a lot of it in the trades which then led us to uh doing some work down in the states going down to like syracuse heavy rescue conference and stuff like that doing some heavy metal stuff and then doing a ton of welding we're doing a lot of the welding at the school getting their sea can house built up getting all the doors and all the door frames any props that we're doing and then we're kind of on the up and up we got a little side gig going on to where i think we're going to start building some uh, machine rescue props so you might be seeing that coming down the down the pipeline soon 
getting into it with that cadre was was wild. Being able to pick the brains and you know the Andrew Broussards, the Jeff Claytons, the Johnny Cadiz, the like this the the people that he brings by. That no matter who comes around him, you can one hundred percent guarantee that they're extremely knowledgeable. And if they don't have, they're not the type of individuals to where if you have a question and they don't know, they're not going to try and bullshit you. They'll figure that answer out, whether it's talking to each other, whether it's digging through a textbook or whatnot, but they're not going to bullshit you and give you some wrong information. They'll say, well, like, I'll get back to you. So it's it's been awesome for me. It's a huge, huge, huge help in my development, being able to pick their brain. Yeah. What was the process like then choosing to go full-time? Choosing to go full-time was, that was always the goal. It was just the timeline. I think we all know nowadays the the hiring process is interesting and the individuals they choose is interesting. And I can fully admit to you right now, I probably wasn't the most polished candidate in the sense of being in interviews and stuff like that. It was, that's, that's not my, that's not my style. Like I can do the shoot the shit like we're doing right now, but the professional trying to tell someone what they want to hear kind of side was, was never something I was polished at. Right from day one, as soon as I got my certs, I was throwing resumes out there. I think even before I got my certifications, I was throwing my name out there. In Brampton, they don't require you to have all your certifications right off the bat. So any chance like that, I was throwing my name in. Once the certs did come in, I did the lovely OFAI stages. Had a real fun time doing those. Yeah, I got all the prerequisites. Like I said, the OFAI, the York, the Brock, all all that kind of stuff. I kind of made sure that I wasn't missing out on any applications with their prerequisite testing. I just, I bit the bullet. I had a really good job at the time, bit the bullet and just took all of them so that I could apply everywhere. Young guy, I don't have anything tying me down anywhere. So I, I applied everywhere, like Thunder Bay, Kirkland Lake, North Bay, you name it. I applied to it. You thought about taking paramedics and military too as even options? The year before I got hired, I'd seriously considered quitting my job at Hydro and going to take paramedicine. At that point, I had been applying for like, I don't know, probably four and a half, five years. Nothing was hitting. Like I, was, I was making it through some with, with departments here and there and making it to some interviews and stuff like that, but nothing really was showing like it would work out. I was thinking that that was my, my last opportunity. And luckily, Brent Sterling talked me out of that. I don't want to say talked me out of that, but kind of laid down the facts of I had a good job at the time and it allowed me to get my own place. And he was able to kind of pull apart my job there and show me that there was actually skills that I was using there that were extremely relevant in the fire service as well. Because at the time I was thinking, oh, welding, that has nothing to do with the fire service. No department's going to view that as anything special. Like it's just me wasting my time making a buck but luckily he was able to sit me down and kind of write it all out and show me that there are skills here that a department could take i ended up not going through that i'm very happy now to look back that i didn't because i got hired soon after and like i got family who's involved in the military as well so that was another option i was kind of i was really interested in going and you know being a medic and a combat medic and stuff like that but Again, between family and I talked to my family, like my, my one uncle was in the armed forces for 23 years. I gave him a call and he kind of laid it out that it's not to be all or end all. It's, it might not be the best, the best choice for, for my career and what my end goal was with their contracts and stuff like that. So I ended up not doing both of those and I just continued on the grind, continued throwing my name out there. You said it was pretty frustrating seeing some people just finish boot camp and take a crack and get full-time right away. I was in an interesting role working at the school and being an instructor. You, you see a lot, of, a lot of people come through. It always gets back to the school, you know, so, so-and-so from this boot camp got hired, so-and-so from that boot camp got hired. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there. I was the one who, who taught them in their recruit class, and I'm still not even hired. It was actually a little bit of a mental struggle for me, I'll be entirely honest. I don't know if it was ego or anything like that, but the first couple that I heard, I got I got a little fired up about, and I kind of sat down. It's like, well, I don't know what their past, what they brought from their past. I don't know what they brought from my family experience or if, what jobs they did prior. I was a little immature on my side, getting so worked up about stuff like that. Luckily, I was able to kind of get rid of that and just good for them. 
that's that's phenomenal for them. And I was able to, you know, reach out to a few and ask them for tips on what they did to be successful in their in their recruitment and stuff like that. So once I got rid of the negativity, I, w- I think it actually it helped me more than anything being able to go and go and ask them for some advice. And what was the recruit experience when you finally hit full time? It was awesome. Applying, I would have taken anywhere, right? But you always have those the top three that you that you would really like to end up in, and I I got super lucky. I, I hit my number one on my list. It's an awesome department. I can sit here for hours and kind of pump the department's tires and the people who work there. I, I finally got on medium sized department to where you can get to know everyone. The chief staff kind of know your name. The captains know your name. Like people know of you. So we got in and we had a small recruit class of six of us. And right off the bat, like the night we came in for our gear fitting, everyone clicked right away. It was instantaneous. Everyone was was like minded. A lot of us had been gone going through the application process for for quite some time. So that was like an immediate point of chat. Like, how long did it take you to get on? I think there was two of them that were almost at the ten year mark applying, and then there was a few of us like myself. I was like the six year. There was two that were at the four or five year. Like everyone had kind of been on the struggle bus for a while. So I think that also led to us really appreciating finally getting there. So everyone was on the same page at that. Everyone wanted to ensure that we committed the time that we needed to and to ensure that we were switched on and ready to, ready to go for the next training day and recruit class day. Everyone was committed, which was awesome. There, there was no one that was sneaking to the back of the class, not wanting to get the extra reps. Everyone always wanted to get on the extra reps which we got super lucky. We had the training staff that we did. All the training officers there were super, super into it. Their level of knowledge is beyond my comprehension, like true program-specific professionals. The way it was set up, like they had the three training officers and then seconded another training officer who is now one of the acting captains at the hall I work at. Just a bunch of beauties, to be entirely honest with you. That's Phil Montgomery. Oh yeah, big Phil. Yeah, Phil is uh, Phil's an absolute stud, and he he played played a huge a huge role in my career already, starting right off the bat in recruit class. Having an individual who been on the job for twenty plus years and is still so passionate and so into it, and just a book of knowledge that if you want to take extra time on anything or if you have a question about anything, he's there, like super enthusiastic about it. Like he wants extra time on the tools too having him there was was phenomenal he, he was just a fun guy to be around too right but yeah we had we had him and then all the other three training officers like their program specific knowledge was insane the one training officer is like you want to talk about truck inspections you want to talk about medical he is the program specific guy like his medical scenarios were absolutely insane this guy would cover himself and catch up the one medical scenario we had was a medical overdose and he actually stuck himself with a needle and flaked out in the men's washroom to make sure it was as realistic as he, as he could for us. Again, just another individual super committed to, to our learning and to bettering us. And then the other two training officers, it's hard not to name them by name, but they know who they are. The one he's, you look at him, and he, he's like, he looks like he's like a bulldog. He's big, big old mustache on him. He, he's been on the job for a long time, and he looks like he'll eat you alive. But then you get the, you get to know him. He's the the nicest individual you know you'll ever meet. Super worried about if you're actually retaining the information. He doesn't want you to just push through the day and check off the boxes. Like he wants to make sure you're you're ready to go on the trucks which was phenomenal. I get to see him in a couple more weeks for another course. So I'm looking forward to that. And then the other training officer was newer to our department, got on around the same time as we did, but had a ton of experience at a previous department. The IT side and the scheduling side, like I think our recruit class went as smooth as it did, a big part because of her, with just the scheduling and ensuring that everything was there when we needed it. And then getting to jump in with us and picking her brain about some topics. And then even now that we're on the truck, she's a huge, a huge role on our high rise committee. She's really getting into that and dialing that in along with Phil. Phil's, Phil's also involved in that. 
overall our recruit class was awesome going out for beers after class and going down to jays games and stuff like that the 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 days after were a little rough but we had a good time and we're all still in contact today like our group chat still fires up once a week so yeah it's been awesome and three of us went to see platoon so we still run into each other on calls and stuff like that and it's always a good time seeing those boys how's the rookie time been so far Brook time's been awesome. I think like being in the honeymoon stages, you ask anyone how their rookie time is, it's always awesome. But I got put in a busy hall with a bunch of individuals who are into, into the job. They love to do the extra training. We have two phenomenal captains who they have no problem with us doing extra training. They have no problem doing extra training with us. Two captains who are both well-versed, not only in the job, but stuff outside the job. Like I'm very fortunate. My captain, Quinn Marshall, is a mindfulness guru. He did the mindfulness program in our recruit class. I come from the trades. I'm not a big touchy-feely emotions guy, but after taking his mindfulness program, I was able to realize how important it actually is working on the job and just making sure that you can you can keep your mind in shape throughout hopefully my long career, right? Tons of individuals who bring a ton of extra experience from other careers or just a ton of time on like my senior man, he's got over 20 years on the job as well. And then awesome individuals. I haven't got to work with her much, but Amber Bowman coming in, she's my acting captain. So I think we've, we've all heard her, her story and how much of a huge role model and the fitness in the fire fit world and stuff like that is in uh, having her on, on my truck and getting to hopefully pick her brain to keep my ass in shape. It will be awesome. And yeah, we have a lot of fun at work. I mean, it's, it's not work. It's, I think it's more so go in and have fun with the crew and learn some and run some calls. It's, it's an awesome time. I got in at a, an awesome hall. That's awesome. They move you guys around quite a bit when you're in your new years. It's not confirmed, but we, we 100% have another move. I, I move halfway through October to another hall. They want us to work in other parts of the city, different demographic areas. Like the demographic area I work at right now is, I, I wouldn't say it's the uh, higher class area of, of the city. You run into some in- individuals in parts of towns who are on hard times and stuff like that. So it's good to see that and then move to another part of the city where it is the higher class learn how to interact with all, all different kinds of people, all different walks of life and stuff like that, getting to work with other crews. Luckily, the department is at size right now to where we can still go down to the Jays game as an entire platoon. So I fortunately now I kind of know everyone on the platoon. And as the new guy, if there's any staffing that needs to be made up somewhere, a new guy usually gets shipped out. So I've got to work with a lot of the crews, which has been a, another awesome experience, getting to work with everyone and getting to work on different rigs at a different halls in different areas. I think 100% move once more and then maybe a third time in the new year. We're not sure yet though. Are the crews pretty good with embracing what their new firefighters know and what they can bring to the team right away? I came in and I, I really tried to keep the volunteer side on the down low with the union stuff. And I'm not here to tell you what, what I've done in my volunteer hall. I'm, I'm here to be, to be a new guy. I love, love being a new guy and getting to ask as many questions as I want and being expected to fuck up here and there and just learning from those mistakes. Eventually, like started getting out that I've been a volunteer for a bit. I do some work at the school. As a new guy, you don't usually get your opinion asked for. But there's some individuals that I work with who have no problem asking my opinion on stuff. I'm not there to give my opinion. Like I said, I had no problem being the new guy. I I keep my mouth shut and just listen to what everyone has to say. I work with eight individuals, 10 individuals who who will ask me if I have an opinion on something or who will ask me if if I've seen it done any other ways, like working down in the States. The fire service down there is, is a lot different than what we have up here. So if there's anything that I've seen down there that I can bring up here, anything like that no one there doesn't seem to be any ego that i've run in yet to where it's like no you just shut up you don't know a single thing right everyone's been really good at picking everyone's brain like we have a few new people on our crew and no one has any issues with asking questions as a group it's it's not just a few individuals who, who get to speak their mind everyone seems to be able to throw their piece in if they have something that they can bring to the table right you just got back from Syracuse. Tell me about that experience and your view of being down in the States and back here in Canada and what the differences you see. 
that was an unreal, unreal experience. Going down, like we talked about earlier with Andrew Bessard's cadre, being able to pick their brains and hang out with those guys. We have we have a lot of fun on the training ground and there's a lot of good information that's that's put out on the training ground that even I get to learn from. I get I'll be entirely honest, I'm a little bit selfish when I go and work down with those guys. I know we're supposed to be working, but I like being a student at the, at times too, right? It was an awesome time. We had a group of individuals taking this course that were just all switched on and into it. Like there was no ego like there was captains who had been on for twenty 30 plus years taking the course and then there's me this young punk with a horrible mustache trying to teach this guy who's been on for 30 years how to cut metal but they were they were all phenomenal in the sense that they know everyone kind of brings something to the table everyone's an open book for any questions you have we're all here to learn we're all here to have fun everyone left their ego at the door there was no one you could pick out of the class. Be like, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't want to work with that guy. Everyone there, I would, I would love to work with. It'd be a pleasure to work with any of them there. But the course went super smooth. The way Take the Door has it set up, and Brass and the Cadre have it all set up like it is a well-oiled machine. There was no hiccups. It, it, it went perfect. I think we, we did some tours of some firehouses and stuff down there. It's the fire service down there. Is, it, it's. I don't want to say it's totally different than what we than what we have here is similar job but it just seems that the biggest thing for me is the traditions down there listening to brass's podcast we have departments here that have only been a department for 20 years meanwhile the departments down there have been a department for 200 or 150 years they've had those traditions created and then brought through for all those years and then those traditions are extremely important to those members and I think that's something that, that we lack in the Canadian Fire Service, like the kitchen table. We walked into Syracuse, Heavy Rescue One, and their kitchen table was a custom-made table that the guys got from. They pulled, they pulled up a bowling lane from a bowling alley and made a table out of it with their logo and everything in it. It's like that is, That's a sacred thing. Meanwhile, you go into a firehouse in Canada, and it's an Ikea piece of furniture, right? Just the little things like that and real pride in members who have retired members who have done extraordinary acts on the fire ground like the one hallway they had at rescue one was just filled with pictures and we had one of the senior guys go through and pointing out pictures of individuals we know and what they've done and even the junior guys they'll go through that hallway and they can point out the same thing because they got that walkthrough with the senior man and then they were extremely appreciative of that time and what those individuals have done they have awesome rigs down there. It seems like a lot more firehouses in the cities that they work in compared to a similar city size down here. But it, I think the biggest thing for me was the fire duty. They they go to a ton of fires, right? And they're a very aggressive nature down there. Their main goal is to go in, get a search done. No matter if the building's been confirmed vacant, it's, they're going in and getting a search done. You never know. The building's occupied until it's proven otherwise which they really, they, it really seems like that's extremely important to them. And even the chief staff really allowed them to go and do their job and get stuff like that done. But overall, it was a phenomenal experience. Got to meet some switched on dudes. Those are contacts that you'll have for the rest of your life. The Instagram messages that are going back and forth. Did you see this rescue today? Did you see this job today? And all that kind of stuff. It's phenomenal for even just future development of yourself, right? For volley or full-time, if you had any calls that have been teachable moments to sort of open your eyes to the things that can't be taught in recruit classes and academies and any calls that stand out for you? I've had a couple. For me, it's like mechanical aptitude. There's been a couple. And like here where I work volley, we cover a big section on 400. And you get some, some pretty good pin jobs up here. So there's been a couple times where I thought where my mechanical aptitude was pretty set. And pretty switched on and then i get to some of these calls and it's like i have no idea what to do here like this car is mangled i don't know where to start cutting i don't know anything of like how how do i start i don't know i don't know where to start and then you'll have like a senior guy come in and be like here you see this pinch point right here you see how this steel is bent right here the way that some individuals are able to envision and see how like forces and stuff have acted on a car 
have been huge, huge teachable moments for me. And that's something that I'm, I'm really trying to work on. Just thinking outside the box and taking a step back. There's two that are very, very apparent to me that I can remember here where I got up and I just hyper-focused on one task. And then as soon as someone else was kind of able to bring me back and say, look at the whole picture, like look at everything here, then you'll be able to find your place to start. And instead of focusing on one thing and you have no idea where to start, then you get worked up and you get frustrated. Just take a step back, pass the tool off if you have to. We're working as a team, right? It's funny, like on the pin jobs, it's the first person's running for the tools, right? And everyone wants to get on and cut the car apart and stuff like that. If you can't work as a team and pass the tool off and make sure that the end goal is just get that patient freed, that's a big thing for me is just learning how to see the bigger picture. How's the medical side of things for you? Medical for me, I'd say it's all right. It's better now than it was for sure. My first few years on volunteer, like we got the same training as any other volunteer department, I'm assuming is like your first aid and your BLS and on you go, you do your annual research at training night, which is usually a 45 minute chat with the, the individual coming in to recertify. But when I started to apply full time and stuff like that, I started, I came to the realization that we're not, we're not just a fire department. Like we're going to a ton of medical calls. I ended up taking your EMR and any extra medical training that I could get my hands on or any extra medical training that my department was providing just because I knew I'd be using that more than probably anything else. I don't want to be super proficient in stretching a hose and throwing a ladder. And then when we get to do that once or twice a shift, and then you run seven medical calls and you can't be switched on at a medical call, right? So I went in and started getting a ton of extra training on that. And then going through a crew class, our medical was phenomenal in my crew class. Like I said, the one training officer was super switched on, super into it, really went to the next level with his medical scenarios. And then even the doctor we work under, he came in and spent a couple of days with us going over all the directives, everything that he wants to see as the doctor that we're working under. So I think now it is better. And then on shift, we got a couple pretty good shift training instructors who do medical as well. So we're always, at least we're working on that every month, just trying to keep on those skills and going over any scenarios that we can run into. Along the same lines, like what skills do you feel you've got the most competence in, even though you can always get better? Which ones would, are you like sort of eyeing up to round out your skill set that you want to improve on? I want to say forcible entry is a skill that I think I have a pretty good grasp on. It's such a, such a wide topic, but it's a topic that I'm extremely passionate about. And like I said, I've been fortunate to take Andrew Broussard's course quite a few times and, and they've done train the trainer days at the school and stuff like that to where we get to go through all that stuff again. So I want to say I have a decent grasp on that, but that again, that's, that's a skill that, with the way the world's changing and the way building construction's changing, that's that's a skill that we're, we'll you'll forever be able to work on. But the one I've got my eyes on big time right now is nozzle forward, hose line management, stretching, all that kind of stuff. Phil Montgomery's a, a huge proponent of that. We didn't get to spend a ton of time in recruit class doing it, but once I got stationed where I am with him, we were stretching lines once a shift. We may or may not have stretched lines through the firehouse. I can and cannot confirm that. He's taken the nozzle forward. I think he's taken it two or three times, maybe even four times. So getting to pick his brain. And, but that's one that I definitely want to work on some more and spend some more time on. And even just doing flashover cans with yourself, going over some of the movement basics and water mapping and stuff like that. That's, that's one that I want to commit more time to and hopefully be able to get in on Aaron Fields course. I think he's coming back next year. So hopefully get in on something like that. Beautiful. You ever got into any uh, auto X competition? Do you, have, do you have any like competitive teams in the fire of service you want to get involved in? Where I work, I don't know. Like I don't, I know for a fact we don't have like an auto X team. That would be 100% something I'd be interested in. That sounds phenomenal. Like listening to Tazarski talk about it and stuff like that. I saw him last week. That would be unreal to get into. Firefit is one thing that, I've started to really take a liking to 
previous to the fire service playing hockey and stuff like that the gym regime is something that you kind of have to do to make it to the next level in in the sport and then once I got out of the sports I kind of lost that I really wanted to get back into it and then a couple of my buddies they jump in on the fire fit competitions kind of started to get into that listening to Amber Bowman and TJ all those individuals that I'm fortunate enough to get to work with who are heavily involved in that physical fitness I can pick their brains now so those are that's one thing that I think I would like to to start getting into. But yeah, nothing going on right now, but there's definitely some stuff hopefully on the horizon. What are you doing fitness wise to just maintain right now? Mr. PT during rookie school and I don't want to say unfortunately, there wasn't anything mandated throughout recruit class, but our recruit class, the individuals were pretty good at going to the gym after class or coming in early, going for a run, going to the gym before. But yeah, there was nothing like that in rookie school. All of us were all pretty into it. I do a ton of biking. Biking's always been, I got I got some some knee issues being the tall, lanky guy I am and playing the sports that I have. So I do a ton of biking throughout the summer. Like my house is right on the trail. So I get to just jump on the bike and I can go for 100 kilometers. It seems like, and I think, I think it's 92 kilometers that I can ride in one way. So it's, it's I, I'm very fortunate to have that. That's my summer sport. And then the, uh, in the wintertime, I play a ton of hockey. Even in the summertime, I play once or twice a week. And then the wintertime, I'm looking at like three or four times a week still playing hockey, whether it's fire department related or just pick up on Sunday morning, right? But overall fitness, I, I like to get in. I try to get in three times a week. Some weeks, depending on how busy it is, it might be none or one times a week, but I was lucky enough. I had a trainer back in the day when I was playing sports. So I still had all my workout routines and all that kind of stuff that I could follow. When I do get in the gym, in the volunteer hall, I work at, we put, uh, I want to say probably 25 grand between there were six of us and then some donated equipment. We were able to build a pretty kick-ass gym. So getting up there and throwing some weights around, getting on a stationary bike, we got a rolling machine, we got anything, you name it. So yeah, try to get up there three times a week. I know you're still in the honeymoon phase, but are you feeling pretty hopeful for the fire service that you're getting into? For my specific department, yes. We have some really good individuals who work there and some individuals that could step up into the captain role, the platoon chief role. You never really know what management's going to do up top, but on the floor of the individuals that I'll have to work with, I think we have some some pretty dynamite firefighters that are going to get up in those roles. There's a lot of good people in the, in good places. You never know what management's going to do. You might get lucky and get a pretty switched on chief who's into it. And they can, we'll start making some changes, but I think anyone who works anywhere will, they have their, their changes that they want to make and they have their stuff that they don't want to be changed. I haven't been there long enough to really have a solid idea of what needs to be changed or what can be changed or what needs to be stayed the same. But I really like the way that they're going with like their shift training instructors. They're really, we know that new market is going to become a huge city, not in the sense of how much square kilometers we have, but how high it's going to go. Like, I think we have over 20 high rises that are already been approved, ready to rock and roll. They're already starting to build some. So we know we're going to be growing higher. It seems like the department has kind of got ahead of things and started to really dial in our high rise training program with Phil and a couple other really switched on individuals on that side. They're getting ahead of the game. We're not being reactive. We're trying to be a bit more proactive, which is really good to see because I think in the fire service, a lot of the times there's a lot of reactive stuff instead of proactive stuff. So seeing that the department is interested in being proactive and they're willing to allocate some resources and some time towards those proactive topics is is really promising for a new guy like myself. And having recently got on, and you, you obviously mentioned your struggles over the years to get in, offer some advice to people that are trying and maybe the attitude that people should have entering boot camps, entering recruit classes. Is there anything you've picked up that maybe you want people to know about? A big thing for me was just mindset. I don't want to say there's false hope given to some people, but it's a process. It's going to take time. Yes, we all hear the stories of the person who applied to one department and got on right away. 100%, you might hit the lottery, you might hit the jackpot, and that might be you, right? But for the most part, I think a lot of people do have to put in a couple years of solid work to get hired. It's going to happen. 
try and stay positive, continuously learn, take all the courses you can. Like I know some courses can get expensive and it's hard to get time off work, but any chance that you can get, whether it's an OFM certificate or it's just a certificate from a company where you got some extra reps on, continuously learn, build up that resume. There's professionals out there who offer getting your resume done and going for interview training and stuff like that. For an individual like me, that was 100% necessary. I'm not an English major where I can perfectly formulate my resume and perfectly word my resume. So I had to get my resume done along with the interview stuff. I'm not the perfectly polished individual. I didn't know how to sell myself. I didn't know how to sell some of the skills that I have and some of the courses that I've done. So I needed that interview training. So being able to realize where you're lacking and where your flaws are hopefully early on is a huge thing like for me i went five and a half years without getting interview training i finally got interview training i got hired my next interview those individuals who are professionals like yourself in that interview prep and that test prep they're huge they've they've been through it they know they've talked to individuals who have been through it. they have a huge 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 variety of knowledge that they've been able to pull from and they can open your eyes to a lot of things like I had no idea how to sell myself. I thought it was just bragging. I thought I was being cocky, but then they teach you how to sell yourself and how to word some stuff. So just being able to kind of realize where you're lacking and where to ask for help is a huge thing as well. Staying on top of it, keeping that positive attitude. One thing for me that I went through when I was going through that I was realizing is just being personable. I come from a family where when you meet someone, you shake their hand and you look them in the eyes and say, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you, right? I feel like that's something that's dying in today's society that you're talking to chiefs who are coming from that old school mentality where some of them can really judge a character off that handshake or off how you act with others. I remember going through for a department, we were going in to write our test and they had 150 of us lined up outside the doors, the on-duty crew and the deputy chief walked by the entire line not a single person, not the brag, other than myself, said, good morning, chief. How are you? After that test, chief pulled me aside, asked me my name, said it was a pleasure to meet me. There were some individuals who wore track pants and a t-shirt to go write, write their test. They always say, like, your first impression means, means a ton, right? I think that's, that's a huge thing. You're not kissing ass by saying good morning to the chief. You're not kissing ass by introducing yourself to the on-duty crew, right? You're just Try and get your name out there and just be personable, like be interested in learning about someone else, be interested in meeting someone, right? You never know. It might help you. It might not. But at the end of the day, if, like if, if I made it to that interview, I walked in and the chief's, oh, I remember you. You're the one who I talked to on the test. Do you think the chief's going to be able to say that about anyone else who didn't step out and do a simple thing like say good morning, right? So just stuff like that. Go the extra mile. Take the time to study the test exam and test prep, all that kind of stuff. But for me, the biggest one is just be personal. And maybe speak to the benefit of going to conferences and taking classes there versus chasing down, which is necessary, you know, getting the certifications that you need to have on your resume. But what have you been picking up from conference classes that aren't necessarily always the, the certs that you can put on your resume to get the job? When I was going through all the applications and stuff like that, the conferences were an awesome networking event for me because you got to meet a ton of other people who are going through the same process. You got to meet a ton of people who have been through the same process who can have insight on how to get in, what to do, any sort of tips. There was a couple guys that I met who we were going through for the same department. I had my my interview first. He sent you to say, hey, polish this up for your interview. This is what they're looking for. Or if I'd had my test before anyone else, hey man, these are questions. That's not me. Make sure you get onto these. Coming from an application standpoint, that was probably the biggest one, but also just on the job skills, going to the conferences. It's not like going through your bootcamp class where they're teaching you the skills that you need to pass your, your certificates. Going to those conferences, it's all on the job stuff. Like it's all stuff that you'll be able to benefit from when you get on the trucks, when you start running calls and stuff like that. Not a lot of people early on in their career will, will go and go and do those, but it'll, it'll put you ahead of other individuals, whether it's in your new class or in your, in your first five years or anything like that. But those are skills that 
will come into play on the calls. Yeah, they might not come into play when you have to do your JPRs and your recruit class. But those are things that will not only help you, but could potentially help your crew later on in your career. Some people might see when they finally, it takes so long to, to get on for a lot of people that when you finally get the job, they may, obviously you need to give yourself a bit of a breather and say, whoo, okay, I can just enjoy this right now. And But you're not the kind of guy to coast. Is there any immediate and long-term goals that you have for yourself and fire-related or non-fire-related? Like how you, now that you've got this milestone, what are you looking forward to next? I'm just looking forward to, to growth, to be able to pick up new skills. I don't even know how to say this, like relationships with individuals, working on relationships with the people you work with, getting to know the people you work with better. That's a big one for me, getting like my crew. I want to I wanna know how many kids you got or if your kids are in sports or stuff like that. Luckily, the crews I got on, everyone's super open and everyone talks about that stuff. We have people's family coming in and stuff like that. But working on those relationships with the people at work and then just growing skills. Like now that I'm on, if I thought I would be less busy once I got the career, but I'm actually more busy than I was before. I'm taking just as many, if not more courses than what I did before. Luckily with our shift schedule, you you got some extra, some spare time that you can go out and it's, I'm not working five days a week. I have more time to go out and take extra courses. But yeah, just continuously committed to growing and learning as much as I can. That's what I've got going on right now. Anything else you want to cover, man? The one thing I want to add is just thanking you for, for doing what you do, bringing this platform out for whether it's individuals who've been on the job for 30 years or new people like me. These podcasts are huge getting to listen to some of these top-notch firefighters and individuals in the fire service just getting to listen to their experiences and where they've gone wrong and what they've learned is huge. So kudos to you for really bringing this out to people and allowing people that opportunity to learn from other individuals. And I hope someone can pull a thing or two out of me, even though I'm, I'm so new, but yeah, thank you. 